Uh, so this morning, this morning, we want to enjoy Thanksgiving. I hope we have a good week of that. But uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about from judgment, from judgment to, uh, what did I call it? Judgment on, on a revival nation. Judgment on a revival nation. And I, I'm just going to be forthright on this. Uh, I, I uh, gleaned this from a pastor that I... Uh, uh, highly recommend, and I, I basically took his message, and I told him that when I went and saw and had the privilege of meeting him. I said, from time to time, I plagiarize your messages to one of the pastors that I, and he said, don't worry, I plagiarize them from God, and he said, you're welcome to him anytime. <laughs> and then the second one, I t- the, my favorite preachers was there, and I said, well, I, I had to confess, I used your, a lot of things that I gleaned from you as well. You guys have been my seminary through the years and different things. And he said, they're yours. You can use whatever you want. We use uh, p- uh, things that we glean. And so you're, you're welcome to take what you need in there if it, and bless the people of God. So he preached something a couple of weeks ago that is so profound for the, the time in which we're living. And I, I just wanted to take some of that and share it with you. Uh, I know I could say, go listen to this message from so-and-so, uh, but the, the, the reality is about one in ten would go listen to it, if that. So uh, uh, it's got enough in this message that you need to hear uh, uh, many of the points in this message. If you got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew 12. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll go to the Word of God. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this day, and we thank you for the, uh, the time that we're living in, God. It's not by chance you have us living on the face of this earth during this hour. And Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy that's running after us, God. And we just thank you for uh, your people. Thank you for the way people worshiped in this house today, God. Thank you for people that are tuning in online today, God. And I just pray that people... Uh, God will be ministered to you. I pray that, God, you would add uh, your approval to, to uh, this message and to your word, God, that the Holy Spirit would be present here, God, and that lives and hearts would be changed through the message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 12, the Bible says, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you'll turn with your Bibles to Matthew 12 first, I want to start with a passage of Scripture, and this will go into where I'm going. But Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45 says this. You may be familiar with this passage of Scripture. It says, when an unclean uh, spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry and arid places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty and swept and put into order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first state. So shall it be also with this wicked generation. And uh, the, the thing I want you to hone in on is the previous verses. We read those verses a lot of times, but I don't know that I've ever, uh, Steve, paid much attention to the verses prior to that that it's leading into. If you back up with me, I want you to look at verse 41, and I want you to see what Jesus says or what he's saying here. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented not at the preaching of Jonah. That's what he leads into this passage of sweeping the house clean and seven more coming. And he, and he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented not at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, we're giving warnings 
And we've been given warnings in America. Billy Graham warned and said if God didn't uh, apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, that, uh, our, 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 uh, that, that, that uh, they would be able to rise up and condemn us, basically, you know, that he would have to apologize to America. Uh, or he, he mentioned that America needed to repent because if Sodom and Gomorrah got judged, uh, then, then they're owed an apology for letting America go into the filth and the debauchery and the things that we've gone into. And we've been given warnings. We've been given warnings. We've had books written after 9-11 from preachers called The Harbinger and other type books that have come out and warned us over and over and over of the calamities of the things that are happening. We have had, we have had the vision written back in the 70s and, and, and over and over. We have had warnings of fires coming to the streets of New York of what's going to take place of a nation that doesn't repent. Uh, we, we have had, uh, uh, you and I, we, we've had, but, but, but we're too busy and we're too distracted and we're, and we're not taking heed to the warnings. We have, you and I get warned, we have sirens up that warn us when tornadoes come. But often we do not, uh, uh, fortunately we've lived in a place where we've seen the devastation of that and often we'll take heed of that. A lot of times you'll get places where there are warnings about hurricanes and that sort of things and you'll find that one uh, guy down in there that says, I'm not leaving, I don't care what the, what the warning says, I don't care what they say, I'm riding it out. And sometimes they ride it out and sometimes they come back and they're gone and because uh, of devastation. And I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of warnings we can ignore but the warnings from God's word that come about judgment and the things that come upon nations and history that proves of what comes on the nation. We do not need to ignore the warnings of those things that come because man may say something and not do it, but I'm going to tell you what, God always does what he says. He's a man that cannot lie. And uh, there, this is not a place to ignore. When the warning signs are there and they're saying, uh, 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 you know, uh, turn course or pull up or go in a different direction, we need to follow that course. Some of our founding fathers, let me show you how this nation got started out. I was just going back and reading this morning of the Mayflower Compact. A lot of us haven't known history in a long time because we haven't taught history in our schools in a long time. But we started out, the first government of this nation, whether you know it or not, precedes the Declaration of independence and goes all the way back to, to uh, some pilgrims and some separatists who left England because of oppression and because of the government there. And they began to want to find a land where they could freely worship God. And they sailed out and they left and they went to Holland and then the persecution caused again. And then they eventually came out coming towards the new world that they were coming to. And it was a horrific uh, journey that they made. But God, by divine providence, led them here. They wanted to, thought they were going to Virginia or somewhere and they or, or didn't really know where they were going but 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 they got off course and they come up into a place called Plymouth Massachusetts where they finally wind up coming and settling there and it was a harsh winter and terrible but all of a sudden in that place they decided we want a form of government and we want to so they made a covenant with God they made a covenant with each other and they said we want this land uh, to, to uh, we want to do something uh, different and so they came together and I want to read this uh, of what it said of when these signed the uh, uh, the the it was William Bradford and, uh, and, and William Brewster, I think, who drafted the framework of this. And listen to the Mayflower Compact. It says this, In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, the Lord King James, by the grace of God uh, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God 
and the advancement of the Christian faith. This is your first government, by the way. Despite what anybody will tell you, this is the first compact they make to form a government right here. And in the, they start it within the name of God, amen. And then they come down and say, having undertaken for the glory of God, we're doing this for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Tell me we're not a Christian nation. And our were and, and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these pre, uh, presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic, that's a government, for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereafter to intact constitute and frame such a just equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony into which we promise all due submission and obedience in witness whereof we have here, uh, here under subscribed our names Cape Cod the 11th of November in the year of the reign of the sovereign Lord King James of England, France, Ireland, 18th of the Scotland, 54th, Anno Domini, 1620. That was the first uh, uh, government that was really formed in this nation that later led to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the other things that we so love. Let me tell you another uh, a man that was so great. Let me read you an article about our first president of the United States. And he gave us some warnings as well. Listen to what he said. Here are some facts. All of it, This is an article. It says, here are some facts all of us should think seriously about in the light of recent attacks on our country. This was after 9-11. Only two nations in the history of the world were dedicated to God. Ancient Israel and America. 2,500 years ago, King Solomon dedicated Israel holy temple to God. On April 30th, 1789, George Washington and his cabinet dedicated America to God in a little church that still stands at ground zero. Marcy and I visited there not long ago. The covenants of both nations had a condition. If they honored God, the nation would be blessed. But if they turned away from Him, the blessing would be removed. Gradually, ancient Israel turned away from their covenant, finally driving God out of their land and bringing in idols to fill the void. They exchanged him for false gods of sensuality, of self-interest, even offering their children on altars of false gods. God tried to call them back through warnings. God tried to call them back through warnings. Finally, his protection was removed. That's his people, folks. Israel's arrogant response when its enemies finally destroyed the holy temple was, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. No repentance for sin. History is repeating itself in America. God has been driven from the public square. His laws have been trampled, and morality has deteriorated to the point where tens of millions of unborn children have been sacrificed on the altar of false god of convenience. 
Our covenant with God has been broken. America's first warning came on 9-11. Our country was attacked by our enemies and 3,000 lives were lost. Ironically, on 9-12, the exact words which were spoken in ancient Israel were spoken by the Speaker of the Senate in Washington, D.C. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars from Isaiah 9-10. There was no repentance for sin. The rebellion continues since 9-11 and homosexual marriage has been accepted. The White House has immediately bathed in rainbow colors and defiance against God. Politics will not save us. Our worst problem is not guns or ISIS or Hamas. It is sin against our Creator. Only if our nation returns to Him in true repentance will we enjoy, again enjoy safety and prosperity that comes with honoring our covenant with God. And then this writer says, wake up America. We've had judgment. We've had we are a revival nation, by the way. We are a revival nation. Look what our look at the revival coming out of. Look at the very first one of a people that left a a state church and and a king that had gone tyrannical and comes to a nation and starts a colony and starts a revival right there of a new form government where you can be free to worship the God of the heaven and earth and take the gospel to the four corners of the world. I would say that's a grand revival right there. I'd say that's a nation that was formed, pretty incredible, and 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 all this. Of a sudden, we've had these warning systems. Now, David Wilkerson, my, one of my favorite pastors, is a guy named Tim Delina. And Tim Delina was riding years ago in a car with David Wilkerson, one of my favorite pastors that's gone on to be with the Lord. And he, he asked David Wilkerson because David Wilkerson had such an insight of what was going to happen in the nations. He was such a watchman and he had such an insight and, would, and, and, and uh, could go into this book and find things. So he's riding in the car with David Wilkerson. Wilkerson, and he asked him, he says, uh, he says, when you see and are getting ready to uh, what's getting ready to take place in our nation and, and you have such a prophetic word that seems to come forth so powerfully, he says, I've noticed you go into the Old Testament books of the Bible and he says, these prophecies that were meant for those people at that time. And he says, it seems like you use those always to, to when it comes to the prophecies that you're showing that are happening today. And he said this to Tim. He said, Tim, history is cyclical. He said, those prophecies can easily speak of our time and our nation because you will see, and he said this, not only the consistency of sin, but you will see the consistency of how God begins to deal with a nation that is backsliding and turning to, uh, and, and turns uh, to God uh, or away from God. He says, you can go into the books. These are written for our existence. Examples unto the ends of the world. You can go anywhere in this book and find God speaking to us today. Can I get a witness? And the reason you can go into the prophetic books here and see uh, uh, things for today. Uh, how many believe? This isn't a dead letter. Th- these books that we're going into. When you go into Amos. When you go into Nahum. When you go into Ezekiel. When you go into Daniel. Those books still speak to us here today in our day and time. It didn't just speak to them then. It speaks to us clearly today. It rings out and rings forth. Because I believe history is cyclical. Uh, 
because sin is predictable. History is cyclical because sin is predictable. And God is consistent in the Word of God to continue to do what He's always done. Now, Nineveh was a revival nation. They were a revival nation because one, most of the time when we hear about Jonah and the well, or Jonah, what do we think about? We think sadly about Jonah and the great fish. But oftentimes we forget what happened after that time. We forget that, 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 that something grand happened when Jonah finally obeyed God. He ought to be known as the revival preacher because I'm going to tell you what, he goes and preaches and 120,000 people are come back to God. Amen? Look at what a whole city turns back to the Lord. Let's read it. Look at Jonah 3 and let me show you the post-well story. Here's what it says. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Can you imagine going through a city that you don't want to go through with all kind of wickedness and you go through preaching for three days warning the city going through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the word of the Lord. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed all of them. We can't even get one person to come to a prayer meeting and come pray. We definitely can't get anybody to skip a meal. They got a whole city and all the animals and the king to do it. Wow, dead ears. I don't, yeah, I feel the, yeah. Preach. We need a revival. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Look at what it says. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. When is America going to do that? This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink anything. Look what he goes on to say. But let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Call urgently on God. Call urgently on God for your lost grandchildren. For your lost neighbors. For your lost family members. For the lost soul. For the lost people sitting in this room. Yawning and thinking God's boring. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Maybe if we would do that. Who knows? Maybe if we get off our phone and our Game Boys. I know there's no Game Boys anymore. Who knows what would happen? Maybe God would relent with compassion, turn from His fierce anger. The anger of the Lord, folks. Maybe it would turn, I, I feel it's like not really being received well. Maybe His fierce anger so that we will not perish. Maybe. Maybe if we'd call upon God. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction that He had threatened them with. Oh, we've quoted it for years here. If my people, which are called by me, we just don't do it. Oh, we quote the verse well. We pass it around Facebook well. Right? And I'm preaching to myself. 
I don't know why the apathy. Well, I'm going to show you in a minute why the apathy. I don't know why the apathy in my own heart. I don't know why the lukewarmness and, and the lack of prayer in my own life. It, it really bothers me. And folks, I want, I, I, we need a mercy moment in this nation. We need something to happen to wake us up out of this apathy. So the revival of Nineveh doesn't get talked about, but 120,000 turned to the Lord. But the question is, did it last? Did it last? Well, it did not. 150 years later, Nahum prophesies in a book called the book of Nahum. And I believe the book still speaks to us today. I believe it's not just for them back there. I believe there's a message that's in this book today. The prophet had one theme. He had one theme on his heart. And it is God is about to judge the nation of Nineveh. He is about to judge it. The revival nation, the one that had experienced such great revival from Jonah coming through and preaching now after 150 years there's a prophet being sent back there to God with one message on his heart and it is this God is going to judge you Nineveh the city that experienced revival that tells me the nation that was raised up by pilgrims and separatists the revival nation called America, if she is not careful, the same thing can happen to her. Her revival can turn to judgment. And her forefathers warn us over and over and over again. It's not just the Word of God. History warns us over and over again. And folks, the Word of God warns us in the book of Nahum and other places. Listen to what it says. Did that revival last? Absolutely not. Listen, there's a senator that said this. The average life of a great civilization. You want to know how many years it is? 200 years. You want to know how where you're at? 247. The average life of a great civilization is 200 years. And here is the general progression of those nations that were once great. Look at this. They go from bondage to spiritual faith. That's what happened to your forefathers. They went from bondage under a tyrannical King George and things going over that they didn't want to be a part of where they couldn't worship God and they left that place and they came out to a land where they could have a spiritual freedom. And so that bondage, they came, they found freedom. It was rough, it was tough, it was hard. Many of them died and never made it to that first Thanksgiving that they had, but they had an awakening that took place. There was an awakening that began to occur in that place and in the hearts and lives of those people. And so then they went from spiritual Spiritual faith to courage. They begin to fight through injustices. They begin to fight through things that, that, that were bad and wrong and sin and all those things. And they fought through it and they went from courage to liberty. Let freedom ring. That's what we brag about in this nation so much. Because we know that with liberty, with freedom, that, that nations prosper. And we know that it's God-given. And when you have it, you, you have such a... Uh, you can do so many things. And so we went from courage to liberty. And then you go from liberty to abundance. 
Because with liberty comes free enterprise. It, go, it comes, uh, we can freely go out and use our creativity and we can make things and we can do things. And man, we have the freedom to go. We're not under the, the iron fist. We're not under socialism and communism. We can move and do and have freedom to do what we want to do. We have more money in our pocket and we can invest it and we can create things and do things. But here's what happens with abundance over and over and time again with the sin nature. From abundance comes selfishness. Welcome to America. And then from selfishness to complacency. Look at your pews. I'll just watch it on TV today. If I have time. From complacency to apathy. I don't care what he says. Let him scream and holler about judgment all he wants to. And then from apathy, and this is where we are. This is where we are as a people. We're going back to bondage. Back to captivity. This is what happens. Go study it in history. Don't get mad at me. Go study history at every great nation and every great civilization and see what begins to happen. And this is where I see America right now at this place. Listen, let me tell you about the history of this nation. We have had three great awakenings. You want to talk about the revival nation? We used to study them in our schools. We have had three great awakenings in over 247 years in this nation. We had a first awakening where we had Whitfield and West. Uh, Whitfield and, and, and Edwards and people like that. We had a second great awakening with Finney and others that were there preaching in that day. We had a third great awakening in New York that started out with a layman that began to pray. And there were over a hundred, there were over a million people stopping work at lunchtime to get on their knees and pray. They say that there were boats outside waiting to come in the harbors of New York City and they could feel the presence of God. They knew what was going on in this nation as a great awakening. Awakening was breaking out on this nation one more time again. Not only that, we had the Azusa Street Revival that took place in the 21st century where there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have had the Jesus Revolution in this nation. We have had revival after revival after revival. We are a revival nation. Just like Nineveh was. We haven't been perfect, but we've had times of outpouring of God's Spirit. We've had times of drawing near to God. We've had times of going away from God. And here's what Nahum warns in the prophecy in Nahum 1.3. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds and the dust are His feet. In other words, after 150 years, He's going after the great city. He is going after Nineveh to bring a nation that will not listen to its knees. Right? Watch what happens in Nahum 3.1. This is not metaphor. This is real. Woe to the bloody city. It's full of lies and robbery. Yeah, try to do business with somebody today. See if they're honest. See if they come out and do what they say they're going to do. Its victim never departs. The noise of the whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses. This is the revival nation. 
Of clattering chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain in Nineveh now. A great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries and seductive harlot. Remember what he said when we started this? If he, hey, the people of Nineveh, you're going to have to rise up and apologize to them. Because look what he did to them. Right? Right? It's not just, it's not just Sodom he's gonna have, we're going to have to rise up and apologize to. It's Nineveh. Look at Nineveh. And, and, and he said, because of the multitude, they repented at one point. Because of the multitude of the harlotries and the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorcery who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift, uh, I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness. And boy, are we not uh, now becoming the laughing stock of the world. No, our president and different things, our Congress and the House of Representatives. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? She, yet she has taken captive and went into exile. Yet she was carried away. She went into exile. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding. You will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are like fig trees and ripened figs. If they are shaken, they will fall. Fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people are, uh, in your midst are like women. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. And the last count, folks, is about 10 million that have come in in about the last three years. And in those are a lot of terrorists, by the way. How do I know that? They've caught some. Some. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. They're in the gates of the White House. They're in the, they're in the, they're in the gates of the White House. They're, in, they're, they're, they're shaking the gates and the bars and burning the streets. Draw your water for siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There is fire. The fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like locusts. Make yourself many like the locusts. Make yourself many like the swarming locusts. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts. Your generals are like great grasshoppers which camp in the hedges on the cold day. When the sun rises they flee away and the place where they are is not known. And listen to what he says about the churches because if you had revival in a great city then you probably raised up some churches. Your shepherds slumber. 
O king of Assyria, your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear the news of you will clap their hands over you. For you uh, upon whom has not, not your wickedness passed continually. A revival nation comes under judgment, the Bible tells us. And when it does, there are six occurrences that, that signal that judgment. And here they are. The first one is violence fills your streets. Do I need to convince anyone that our streets in America are filled with violets? I mean, do I need to do I need to convince anyone that a revival nation has now turned to the same occurrences that happened to the once great revival nation called Nineveh? Now we remember we we mirror the same judgments that they had in their day and their time. Violence fills your streets. You gotta lock down everything you got in your homes. It's not just over here, it's in Mountain Brook. Every day there's a new death. I mean, we're in Arby's before church last week and we're looking on the news, and I just glance up for two seconds, and a mama throws hot, scalding water in her baby's face. It's every day. The second occurrence is drunkenness and perversion in your cities. Have you seen the homelessness in California? Have you seen it in New York? Have you seen the drunkenness and the have you seen the perversion in our cities? Have you seen the gay pride parades like we're not just trying to keep it secret? It's in your face. Have you seen the White House lit up? Saying, God, we don't care what the Word of God says. We're going to do what we want to do. Our children, before they're this big, they're having sex. Oral sex. All kinds of sex. All kinds of debauchery. And the parents don't. And now I'm talking and counseling parents. And they're saying, well, I don't have a right to tell my kid what they should believe. I don't have a right to tell them what kind of sexuality. I said, what are you talking about? What do we do? Give birth and just leave them? We are to parent them. Parent your children, for God's sake. Teach them how to brush their teeth. They're not going to brush them if you don't teach them how. Teach them how to come to church. You don't give them a choice. You say on Sunday we're getting in the car and we're going to church. When you get 18 you can decide and you're out of the house you can decide where you want to go and what you want to do. And as for me and my house we ain't serving Buddha or Allah or Muhammad. In this house, the Lindsay house, we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Number three, no more courage to stand for anything good. Well, who am I to tell you what to do? No courage to stand up. Where's the church? Where's the church in this nation? All the responsibility is right here. It's here, folks. 
The reason all this evil has come up in our nation is because we're the pillar of truth and we're silent. Well, my faith's private. No, it's not. There's nowhere in the Word of God that you get a private faith. There is no private faith. Once you come to Jesus, it's public. It's out there for the whole world to know that I follow Jesus. I follow the true and living God. We've got to get the courage to stand up again in this nation for right and wrong, for good and evil, and understand in this pulpit the difference between the holy and the profane. Like the preacher who I love that preached this message and I gleaned so much from. He said, we got to stop having coming to the movies at church. And preaching the Bible. We got to warn the people. We can't be having coming to the movies when the, when the house is burning. Taking some popular movie and coming in and telling us how that relates to the Word of God when, the, when everything's burning outside. We need people in the pulpits that will stand up and begin to say, Repent! Repent, America! Because there once was a revival nation that got judged. Right? Man, you... <laughs> Number four, the flood of filth through your gates. And you don't even spot it. You defend marijuana. For God's sakes, it controls your brain. It fries your head. But now because it's legal, you, you are mind-altering substances. Alcohol is okay now in the church. All these things that we have now that are taking control of our bodies, that we're giving ourselves over to, that are causing us to go into lasciviousness and lukewarmness today. And nobody will stand up. And by golly, nobody will tell the kid who brings it right into the home. Pornography right on our cell phones. Well, he's a normal boy. Flood of filth coming through the gates of your city, coming through the gates of your house. My grandchild lives with her boyfriend, but I can't say anything. And when they come visit, I'm going to let them sleep in the same bed together. Because I don't want to fit them. Folks, we have slumped and we have slumped very far. Number five, we're going to preach the Bible here. And if it empties the whole place out, <laughs> there's a lot of churches down the road that'll teach you something different. True leadership is lost, number five, and leaders go into hiding. Do I need to say anything about a nation that comes under judgment? Folks, the last campaign we had a president that, we didn't even, that was running for office that we never even saw until he came out and won the election. The leaders going into hiding when difficult, when we had a Maui fire, and where, where's our leaders? Where's somebody there to start comforting and consoling and telling us everything's going to be okay? We're lost leadership. Where are the pastors standing up right now and saying things? Leadership is lost and leaders go into hiding. Number six, ministers slumber and leave the population crippled. And that's on me and that's on the pastors. We have failed. We have, we have, we have, we have slumbered. We have slept. We're as apathetic as, the, as anyone. And we need, we, we, it's a sign 
sign and a signal that we are under the judgment of God. And folks, we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. We need to, we, God, is, God is warning us through the pages of Scripture so that we can, we can hopefully, hopefully come to our senses. Listen to what Jeremiah 23 says. Jeremiah 23, he goes in and he talks about it in verse 16, 17, and 18. Here's what he says about all the false teaching and false prophecies that are going on out there today. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. Oh, I could build a crowd in here. I can tell you everything's going to be all right. Today's, every day's Friday. This is your best life now. He says, don't listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds and from their own hearts. Not from the mouth of the Lord. Do you want to hear from the mouth of God? Do you want to hear from what God has to say about our nation right now? And about things coming upon the world? Or do you want to hear what you want to hear? Right? There were people that knew and warned. My favorite church in the world was making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches the day of the, of the, of the, the towers falling because they were warned before. They went into praying for months because they knew calamity was coming to the streets of New York. God had warned them through the pages just like these and began to show them. And Jeremiah says, they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who followed the stubbornness of their hearts, they say no harm's going to come to America. She can do whatever she wants to do. We were raised up with a beautiful nation by God. And we were a revival nation. God's not, God's not, would never allow any harm to come to this nation. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear my word? Which of these false prophets, which of these preachers of good times uh, are, are getting up and, and, and looking at what's going on out here and beginning to prophesy that it's only going to get better no matter if America repents or not? Which of them has come before my throne and my council and inquired of me what I, what's going to happen? Who has listened or heard? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath. A whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. Oh, you don't think we've had storms of whirlwind? We woke up a couple of months ago and, and, and Putin is invading the Ukraine. Then we woke up a couple of Sunday mornings ago and Hamas is riding their motorcycles in through a, a village in kibbutz and beginning to slit the throats of people and shoot people at a concert and take their women and rape and pillage them. You don't think a storm is out there? Look at the next verse. The anger of the Lord will, will not turn back until He fully accomplishes the purpose of His heart. In the days to come, you will understand it clearly. Or in the last days. I did not send these prophets. Yet they have run with their, with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. Oh, we got every prophet out there in the world. Oh, oh how many did we have? Trump's going to go back into office. There's going to be a red wave. 
No, using thus saith the Lord. I got news for you folks. If your hope is in Democrat or Republican, you are going to be brutally disappointed. Even in the next election. That is not going to save this nation. They don't have the answer for the nation that we have. Only the Lord does. Look at the next verse. They ran and they prophesied. I didn't speak to them. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. They would have. Is there another one? I can't remember. Chapter verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I'm against the prophets who steal from one another uh, words supposedly from me. Jeremiah 6.17 says, I have set a watchman over who have warned you. And I got news for you. Not just the favorite preachers that I listen to, but I've known for years in my spirit. And I know it even more now. Calamity is coming to this nation and the nations of the world. And I'm telling you, folks, Jeremiah 16 says, it says, it says, I set a watchman over you who warns you. And he says, listen to the sound of the trumpet. I will let you know when trouble comes. But you said to me, we won't pay attention. That's what the problem was in Jeremiah's day. That is what the problem is in our day. We want to heap to ourselves the good time prophets telling us what we want to hear. Give us a 15-minute sermonette. Make my flesh feel good. Make me happy. Don't give me hard, grievous words. But I'm telling you folks, there's a time for that and there's a time for this. And now is the time when you see the storm clouds coming and I see the storm clouds coming on the horizon. They are here. They are, they are dark clouds that are here. And it's time to prepare. It's time to prepare. If ever there was a time to prepare, if there if ever there was a time to get serious with God, if ever there was a time to get right with God, the time is now. And the last thing we need to do is have the church declaring peace in the midst of a moral crisis. The moral fabric of this nation, whether you know it or not, is ripping apart. I mean, do you not see it? Are we that blind? That our families have been destroyed. Marriage has been destroyed. Everything good. You know, it's, that, that verse seems so far off one time to say that everything that is good is going to be evil and everything that is evil is going to be good. If you grew up in my generation or especially my dad's or his dad's dad's, you'd say, that's crazy. How in the world can that happen? Well, it's happening. It is happening now. What is good is called evil and what is evil is called good. And folks, I'm telling you, we want to hear a word from heaven in this last hour. We want to get, this is why I keep urging you and I'm begging you, please get into this book yourself. Please. 
And then go enjoy great teaching and preaching where we can be edified and strengthened and learn. But you are going to take it then and, and, and put it up against this book and see if, it, if the trumpet's call and the trumpet's sound is clear and distinct. Amen? you got to know the sound of the trumpet. you got to get into this book yourself. You, you need to get in the page. Your children need to get into the pages of this book. Your grandchildren need to get into the pages of this book. We all need to get into the pages of this book. Let's Let's end with some good news. You ready to end with some good news? Amen. First Peter 4. Let's end with some good news. Here's the way Peter warns us in light of all these things that are beginning to come on the world. Peter gives us knowing that there is catastrophe and an ending coming. Here's what he says. The end of all things is near. Right? Therefore, in light of... Because this is happening. Because this is going to happen. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment. Be sober in spirit of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the actual words of God, not making them up out of their dreams or their heart. Whoever serves is to do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. And beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for the testing as though something strange were happening among you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing, the Bible says, so that at the revelation of his glory you may also rejoice and be overjoyed he's saying this he's saying there will be joy at the end because God is with us God is with us God is with us no matter what. God is with us like He was with those pilgrims when He led them out of a tyrannical place in, across an ocean into a newfound land. God was with those people. God is with us right now. We are not alone. And folks, I'm going to say, we, we see it different from everybody else around us because of that. We recognize that. And Peter is saying, because of you seeing this, because of you understanding that the end is near, because of all this, number one, you need sound judgment. Don't let anything else grab your attention in this last hour. Keep a sound mind. Number two, be sober in spirit with the purpose of prayer. Let me tell you something we're going to do in this church, or at least your pastor is going to do. God has been impressing on me for some time. I told Marcy, I told Daniel this morning, I, I, it's a place I've struggled. It's something I've struggled to teach on. In the coming year, God has said, you are going to preach messages on on prayer until you're tired of preaching messages on prayer. You're going to exhaust the subject and people are going to learn how to do it and you're going to learn how to do it because prayer is powerful. Prayer works and prayer is something that needs to come back to this nation. And when we pray, the fire falls. And when we pray, 
revival comes. And when we pray, outpourings of the Spirit come. That's what preceded all those revivals and all those things happening were prayer. And it's not just you alone somewhere in a closet. That's great. But it's when we corporately come together that God begins to look down and begins to get stirred by that kind of prayer. Amen? That's how Welsh revival started. That's how Azusa Street revival. That's how, that's how all of these things begin to move and be, have, begin to happen. Number two, be sober in, in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Number three, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. If you're angry at somebody, get over it now. No, I mean it. I'm warning. This is a warning. If you are angry at somebody, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. He says, keep fervent in your love for one another. Let it go. If I've hurt you, I'm sorry. And I've hurt a lot of people. I understand that. If I've hurt you, and not purposely always, maybe I did in the past purposely, I'm sorry. Please, let's let grievances go. It's not a time to be having grievances and holding unforgiveness towards one another any longer. And number four, he says, you have got to use your gifts for God. Quit sitting in the pew and not volunteering. It's time to get up and move out into the work of God. Volunteer your gifts. Volunteer your service. Get in the game the hour is late. Number five, Peter says, whoever speaks, then speaks as though God is telling you. Let it be the message of God. Let it be the oracle of God. And then number six, he says, when all of it begins to happen, you will not be surprised. Don't be surprised of the fiery trials that are coming to try your soul as though something strange is happening. This ain't strange. You don't have to be surprised by this. And then he says, why? He says, keep on rejoicing in the middle of the whole thing. Amen. Keep on rejoicing. Look up. Don't look around you. Look up. Your redemption draw nigh. Amen. Look up. Look up. Don't look to Washington and the vote coming. Man, you'll get so depressed you'll lose your mind. Don't look at CNN and Fox. Don't look here and there. Look up. Your redemption draw nigh. Look to heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I close with this. This pastor that I was listening to said he was in the UN the week after for a Bible study the week after the massacre on October 7th in Israel. And he said the dismay on people's faces walking the halls like this caught us by surprise and we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going to happen next. And he said you could see it on their faces. But, he, but they went into a little room with a bunch of believers and they're in that room and they begin to praise the Lord and they begin to raise hands and they know what the end of all things looks like and they're like this in these six or seven things they're there they're rejoicing because they're not looking out at the UN they're not looking out to the people in that room to fix the trouble and the problems gave they're looking up to heaven and saying no matter what happens on the face of this earth no matter what everybody else does we have Jesus amen man we have Jesus and he is in control and so God we are looking up to you and when you finally come bring us home rejoicing don't bring us home biting our nails don't bring us home looking down in despair bring us home like none of you told me today we're going to rejoice
We're not going to be sad. We're going to rejoice. We're going to look up. Amen. And you can only do that with confidence if you're right with God. And so if you're not right with God here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can't face this world with confidence. You can't face the end with confidence. You can't face the end times with confidence. You can't face Thanksgiving and in everything give Him thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know it's the will of God for you to give Thanksgiving? If you're not giving Thanksgiving, you're out of the will of God in an area of your life. If you're all bitter, dried up, crusty, angry, you're out of the will of God. You might be in the will of God in a lot of other places, but you're out of the will of God there. And you need to repent and you need to ask God to help you to have the joy of the Lord. I've had to do this over the last few years because I was that bitter, dried up, angry, crusty guy. And I don't want to be that way because Jesus Christ is not that way. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we can face the end times confident as believers. The end of all things is near, so do these things. God, David Wilkerson preached a message one time about two families that were in the plagues in Egypt. And both families' fathers put the blood on the doorpost. And the children in one house asked the father, Daddy, are we going to be okay while judgment comes tonight? What's going to happen to us, Daddy? Are we going to, uh, uh, the screams are starting to happen outside. Are we going to be okay, Dad? Absolutely, daughter. Absolutely, son. We've done what God told us. We've obeyed God. We put the blood. You can go to bed and sleep. We will be okay in the morning. Do not worry. And then there's a second family that's over across just a little bit away and they're in another house and the father is shaking as he puts the blood on the doorpost and he is saying, oh God, I don't know about this, but I'm doing what you said to do. And all of a sudden the children turn and are looking to that daddy, daddy, we're starting to hear the cries and screams, are we going to be okay? And the daddy says, I don't know, son or daughter, but we're doing what we think is best at what we know God told us to do. And David Wilkerson said, which one of those two families is the most secure? And the answer was both. Because of the blood of the Lamb. So be the one with the confidence as we face the last hour and maybe judgment of coming on in the end days on this world. We can stand with confidence and say, hey, we are going to be okay because we have the blood of the Lamb applied to our lives. We're going to go out rejoicing. Amen. Hallelujah. If you